0: Welcome to the Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud podcast. As instructional coaches and school leaders, you have a challenge to guide continuous teacher growth that promotes student success. This podcast looks to support you with strategies from our experienced guests and insights that I've gathered across many years. I'm thrilled you're here. Thanks for listening. The Path for Women in School Leadership. Today's podcast is a chance for me to reconnect with Kim Cofino. Kim is the founder and CEO of Eduro Learning, a company that focuses on supporting international schools in building community through instructional coaching. I've had the opportunity in the past to connect with Kim by joining her in conversations around instructional coaching on her Coach Better podcast. Our conversation today is to connect on Kim's new book, Finding Your Path as a Woman in School Leadership. Welcome, Kim.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's great to have another conversation with you, Steve. I'm happy to be here.
0: I'm looking forward to it and I'm excited about the the topic of your of your book. Um, Would you share a little bit with the listeners about your background with coaching and your background in international schools?
1: Sure. I've been in international schools since 2000. And I started out as a tech intern at Munich International School. And that kind of built out into me becoming a tech coach. I was a tech coach for quite a while. Um, I worked at Munich International School, International School, Bangkok, uh, Kiara International School in Kuala Lumpur, Yokohama International School in Japan. And now my husband and I are, are back in Bangkok, Thailand, where he works at NIST International School. And I run Edero Learning, as you were talking about before, for most of my career, I was a coach. For most of my coaching time, I was on the tech side of things. Um, and now I run this business at Learning, where I primarily work with instructional coaches, helping them define their role as coaches, advocating for their role in their school and building thriving and sustainable coaching programs. We do online courses, I do coaching with them, I work with schools and school leaders and helping them build coaching programs. And this book is actually a result of that work, which is kind of interesting because the book is about women in school leadership. And I primarily work with instructional coaches. So I'm sure I'll get a chance to tell that story in a few minutes.
0: <laughs> great, great. Well, I know that you have a co-author uh, on the book, uh, Christina Botbill. Uh, I'm wondering if you'd share a little bit of, of her background.
1: Sure. Christina has also been an educator in international schools for many years. She previously was also working in the United States. She's currently at George Washington Academy in Morocco. I think her title right now is director of academics. She's basically the deputy superintendent, but I think that's her formal title. And she was actually one of the women I interviewed for my book because I've worked with Christina for many years in many different capacities. In her role as curriculum director, she's hired me to do work for her schools. I've helped her train her coaches. Um, And when I decided to write a book on the interviews that I conducted, Christina, who had just finished her doctorate, immediately came to mind as being the perfect person who's had that personal experience and has all of the research chops to be able to add some real significant weight to this book. And she was the perfect person.
0: (laughs) Terrific. Take us the next step. Then what, what instigated your uh, your start on this book and, and uh, and then partnering with Christina on the book.
1: So I have been working with instructional coaches and sometimes aspiring leaders in my various courses for coaches and coaching mentorship that I do. And I was having these conversations again and again and again with experienced women educators who are doing really phenomenal things in their school settings that were leadership adjacent, whether you call it informal leadership, like I would describe instructional coaching, or just kind of helping out in ways that demonstrated leadership capacity. And they would tell me stories and we'd be talking about them on a coaching call or whatever. And I would say, wow, you're really developing your leadership skills or you're showing such leadership or that's a huge leadership skill. And these women would consistently say, no, no, I'm not a leader. Like immediate first reaction, not even a breath to be taken. No, 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 that's not me. I'm not a leader. And I kept hearing this so consistently. And I feel that same way myself. Even today, I still the first word to describe myself would not be leader. It probably wouldn't even be in the first 10, right? So I I got it. As soon as they said it, I understand. You, you don't associate yourself with that word. And because I have this podcast, the Coach Better podcast, I thought, you know, what might help these women? is to hear some stories to peek behind the curtain of some successful women leaders and see that all of us feel this sense of imposter syndrome. Most people didn't show up, you know, they weren't born and they're suddenly, you know, this perfect leader ready to lead. They went through struggles. They faced challenges. There are barriers. And people even who sometimes feel like they're not leaders are leading really well. They're leading effectively. So I thought I might have like 10 interviews and I would do a little series on my podcast. So I reached out to one or two women that I personally knew. And I found out later that there's a research, I don't know if it's a technique, but a research practice called the snowball effect. And that's exactly what happened to me at the end of every call I had. I said, is there anyone else that I should talk to about this? You've now had this conversation. Who should I talk to next? And it just so happens, the timing of these calls, I started them in December of 2019, January of 2020, everyone was trapped in their homes. People were dying to have a real conversation, an authentic conversation about something that wasn't stress, emergency, drama, crisis. And so I just got connected, 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 connected. And so in the spring of 2020, I ended up talking to over 70 successful women leaders in public and private schools around the world, completely organically. Um, But one of the pieces, as I was asking, I was very intentional in making sure I'm not just getting... Look-alike people that I'm talking to people from many different backgrounds with many different experiences, different languages, all of those different pieces. Um, and so by the end of like June, I think I had conducted around 70 interviews and I thought I need to pause this. I still have a list of at least 70 more women, but I thought <laughs> I have to pause this and figure out what to do with this thing, because this is not a 10 interview series on my podcast anymore. This is so much bigger.
0: Wow! Wow! You 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 triggered something there that I I have to play with in my mind. Well, frequently when I'm writing, uh, maybe I'm writing a blog and I want to make a statement about this is an important issue. Uh, I'll, I'll say this is an important issue for school leaders. I put a comma, instructional coaches, comma, and teachers. And every time I write it, I feel awkward because mm-hmm. I shouldn't be separating instructional coaches out from my term school leader but absolutely. i have this fear that if i if i don't put it in as a specific instructional coaches are going to skip over it That's because right. they're not seeing themselves in that role so i'm i'm somewhat accurate huh
1: yes absolutely and that is like probably one of the biggest high horses i can get on is helping instructional coaches embrace their influential or their informal leadership you are a leader and this book certainly highlighted for me the skills that you learn and develop as an instructional coach are
0: leadership skills. I mean, I, I started a long time ago. I, as, as you know, I've been at this a long time, but uh, and I've seen a lot of uh, instructional coaches move into administrative positions. And I've spoken frequently about the value of that background experience as an instructional coach uh, being great preparation. For the next roles that they uh, stepped into, Um, it does make me ponder. Do you have any idea if that's the percentage of instructional coaches that are female?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I'm sure it's. I I would venture a guess that it's higher than men. Similar in the role of teachers, we were talking before the call about being more teachers being women versus positional leaders. I would venture a guess it's probably pretty similar in instructional coaches as well, but I I don't know.
0: It strikes me that it would be that it may be even bigger. Um,
1: yeah. I'm,
0: I I'll only say that I'll only say that every time I speak at an instructional coaching conference in a hotel they have to turn some of the men's rooms into ladies rooms. <laughs> right? <laughs> for, for the for, for the break uh and the, the it just seems a much larger female population in those uh, but but I I don't think I've seen a statistic anywhere. No, and that's a good thing
1: it. that I could look up. It, one of the things that we talk about in the book is the actual path to positional leadership. And there is research behind the fact that women primarily take a more winding path to leadership than men. Men might be classroom teacher, department head, head of athletics, deputy head of school or principal, deputy head of school, head of school. Whereas women traditionally or mostly go into curriculum adjacent roles before moving into those more administrative roles. And a coach is such a natural intermediary position between teacher and like curriculum director that it makes total sense to me that there would be a lot of women in coaching positions because it can be a pathway to leadership if that's kind of the direction you want to go.
0: In your book description, you, you make the statement that women in school leadership often face hidden challenges that don't appear or or aren't known about until they're encountered. I'm wondering if you expand on that a little bit for us.
1: So many stories. So um, I'm gonna step back just a tiny second and then get to that question. When I was doing these conversations, doing these interviews, I don't know that I went in thinking, oh, I know a lot about women in leadership, but I thought, you know, I'm sure I thought to myself, like, I'm a woman. I've been in schools. I know things about what happens to women, but every conversation there was a new thing. And it was like, how is it possible that these things are happening to all of these women I speak to? And even myself, you know, I'm kind of adjacent to leadership. I haven't had that particular scenario happen to me. So I'll give you a couple of different examples to kind of highlight some of these things. And for me now, they don't feel so new and so hidden. So I'm gonna try to remember the ones that felt like so shocking when I was listening to the conversation. One example that stands out to me is from Nicole Schmidt. She talks about walking into being an administrator, walking into a recruiting event into the ballroom and just seeing a sea of men and just a very few women and the women being physically isolated from the conversations that men were having. And she talks about a lack of access to engaging in these conversations because it's very click-like. You might think, once I become a school leader, I'm gonna be part of the club, but it's not an automatic entry door. And so that was kind of like a, oh, aha moment for me. John La Madalinsky, who is currently in Egypt. Sorry, Nicole is in uh, South Africa right now. uh, La Madalinsky is in Shut's American School in Egypt right now. And she talked about a couple of things. First thing being, when you move into a leadership position, especially as a woman, especially as a woman of color, you are much more visible in the school community than you were in your classroom. And while you may face microaggressions and incendiary behavior in your classroom, the capacity for that just expands once you're a leader. So things that are racist, sexist, misogynistic, any of these comments that might come at you just kind of broaden in scope and reach as soon as you step out of the classroom and you're in a leadership position. Having to navigate and deal with that in a leadership position is another step of you know, being a woman of color in a leadership position. She also talks about that many school leaders hire people they already know. So when you're new to school leadership, it's so much harder to have those conversations to make those connections. And people of color tend to have less connections. This is what she's talking about because they're maybe newer to the international school circuit, right? So all of these barriers, Katie Wellbrook talked about being told in an interview, are you too ambitious for this position? Are you too ambitious going for this position? You know, no one's ever said that to me as a teacher. Like, I can't even imagine hearing that in an interview. <laughs> so you go in an interview and someone tells you you're too ambitious applying for this position. Why are you interviewing me then? You know, like just all of these pieces. Another great example, I, I know these aren't all exclusively barriers, but they're just great stories. Um, Jen Tickle is... She was in Dresden when I interviewed her, but I think she's in Florence, somewhere in Italy now. And she talks about both her and her husband are administrators and the different types of questions they get asked as they're in the same meeting, right? They're in the same interview. The different questions when she's going for the interview versus when her husband is going for the interview. And she told me one specific story that I will always repeat because it's just a great example where her husband was going for the interview position and they asked her, and Jen, what do you bring to the table? How do you support your husband in this position? And she was so flabbergasted. She said kind of, you know, off the cuff as a joke, like I bake great cupcakes and they wrote (laughs) it down like as if that's a talent that she has. She herself is also an administrator. so. These experiences that women are having on the pathway to leadership, already it feels hard to make that leap. I know we're going to talk about in a little bit because women tend to not apply for positions until they feel they've ticked all the boxes. So they're already presenting their own internal barriers and then they get to the interview or they actually have the position and there's still more coming.
0: Yeah, so there's there's two pieces um jumping out here at me and i'm i'm guessing that you've a- a- addressed both of them in your uh, in your book um and 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 they they relate for me back to an experience i had i um i host a a podcast for a colleague uh, that is for uh, superintendents, uh, largely superintendents in, in in the states, and I was uh, speaking with the heads of the uh, New York Council of Superintendent Schools, and they they shared with me their their focus on looking to uh, have more women in the superintendent roles within the state of New York, and they they shared that seventy seven percent of of the uh, educators in the states are uh, are women. Uh, in New York State, they're currently looking at 28% of the superintendency uh, being uh, b- being filled but by, by by females. And what came out of that, and I think I hear you talking to both of these it's kind of a, a two two areas. one being for the women themselves who are applying, and then the second being for the people who are doing the recruiting and the hiring. And I yep. think you just spoke to the people doing the recruiting and the hiring. Their tendency, if they are being successful, is that they're looking for people like themselves. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I know in my first leadership role in, in hiring trainers, that was one of the biggest mistakes I made. I knew that I was successful as a trainer and I was out looking for people who approached training the way I approached it. And I yeah. missed that whole group of people who were equal and at times more successful than me Uh, and i had to stop looking for people who did what i did and instead look at what people can do and could do that caused them to be successful so i think that's that natural tendency that uh, women aren't being invited and recruited into the opportunities i don't i think in many cases nothing purposeful by the person they're just looking for people like themselves to, to, build that, uh, to build that success component. Um, and then, then the other side being, as you were talking about, uh, women having this sense of needing to meet all the criteria before they apply, um, years back, I, I read, uh, Claude Steele's work on, um, stereotype vulnerability. Uh, and that's really what I kind of heard coming, coming forth there. So you, you want to talk a little bit that that your book addresses both of these issues. So what, what absolutely do, what do women have to learn in the, in uh, from from your work uh, to to look at themselves, and then what do what do the people currently in school leadership need to be looking at?
1: So I'm going to answer that backwards. The second question first, and then I'm going to tell okay. a little more about what women. One of the things I'm really proud of in this work is that we did not want it to be. Here are some stories about women. There are books like that. They are great, but really we wanted it to be action-driven. Here's what you can do. Here's what school leaders can do. Here's what school communities can do. Here's the research to back up the challenge that you're facing. This is a real thing. The motherhood trap, these things, imposter syndrome, these things are researched. It's not just you feeling it. You are not alone. And so there's kind of each chapter has several sections One is the reflections in the research. So every chapter, whatever we're talking about, whether it's imposter syndrome, we lay out highlights of the research for you. So, you know, this is a real thing. People have studied it. You're not the only one feeling this way. It's common. This is what the research says. Then we share a bunch of stories of women talking about their own experience with imposter syndrome, some of their advice, some of our advice. And then at the end of each chapter, we have three layers of action that can be taken. We call that section Take Action. Um, And there's action for you as an individual leader, action for a school leader who wants to support aspiring women leaders. And then there's a layer of action that's for organizations, because the reality of the Mm -hmm. situation, as we were talking about before the call, is this is a societal issue. This is not something one individual woman is going to solve on her pathway to leadership, right? This is a much bigger issue than one person. While as an individual, you might be able to take steps towards making this situation better for yourself you're not gonna solve the problem for everybody, right? So we wanted to make sure we had those three layers. So that's one of the things I'm really proud of in this book is that it is not just about what an individual woman can do, although that is the kind of main focus of the book. It's also about what other school leaders can do to support aspiring women and what school leaders and boards and institutions can do to change the systemic structure of the institution they run to make it more equitable for everyone, not just women. And so I think that's that's the consideration there is the people who are in power now are primarily white men. And so they're the ones who are going to have to make the intentional change to be more inclusive in their practices. And how can we do that? So that's why this book is not just for the individual woman. It's also for existing school leaders who recognize that they have a part to play in this. The first part of the question you asked me was like, um, how can women use this work?
0: yeah for yeah for the for the woman uh to understand where some of those pieces like the imposter syndrome could be could could be coming from i i know when yeah. i years back when i when i looked at that work from uh from claude Steele, it uh it, it, bl- it blew me away and and he he looked at it in race but he also looked at it, uh, one of his studies with uh, women in math classes at, at universities Uh, And what triggered it was when you described walking into the room for the interview and seeing who else is there in the room. um, He he described a study where they they hired actresses to pretend that they were taking a uh, class. And by increasing the number of women in the room, the women who were actually taking the class, their performance went up. Just 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 by seeing them there. Just because they looked around the room and didn't didn't get that immediate feel of not belonging and that's it's only exactly woman. what mm-hmm. exactly what you described of uh of people walking into the interview
1: so that that piece of feeling imposter syndrome but also maybe cutting yourself off from potential steps forward i think that's a big piece of what this book can do for you is you can see oh my gosh i'm not alone like we repeat that statement you are not alone in almost every chapter and that's why one of the reasons why I'm so proud of this work is that it is, like I said before, it's not just stories of women. It's not only not just stories, each chapter is a story of women. Each chapter is a themed topic. So the one I wanted to uh, talk about right now is exploring intersectionality for women in leadership positions. And when we talk about the stories of women, there's like 15 different women's stories featured in here talking about their experiences with their own intersectionality and how it has affected them in their leadership pathway. So it's not just telling the story of one woman per chapter. It's telling many different interconnected stories about a theme. And then each chapter also has a profile of one specific woman. But I did want to say when we were talking before about how women can take this and feel, I hope, empowered, empowered to act I hope they feel reflected in this work. They see themselves in this work and they recognize again, that they are not alone. One of the huge aha moments for me is when um, Christina really just um, crystallized all the research down into one table. And I I, it's on two pages and you can't see because my uh, screen blurs it out, but Implicit bias, intersectionality, maternal wall bias, microaggressions, prove it again bias, tightrope bias, tug of war bias. Like every single chapter has all of these research based terms and definitions for what you are experiencing. So when you are feeling like, why isn't this working for me? Why is this so hard for me? Why is it easy for this guy sitting next to me, who I know is not as qualified as me? This book is going to answer those questions (laughs) and tell you, like, oh, you're experiencing let's say the maternal wall bias, whatever it might be. This is what's happening to you right now. This is why it's happening. These are the societal structures that have led to this point. And then at the end of that chapter, there is gonna be a prompt for a way you can take action. There will also always be advice in the chapter, like here's how our women have dealt with this. But we know that the stories of success of women in this book are not necessarily going to be exactly the same stories of success for the women reading the book. So then we also have bits and pieces of action that you can take. That might help you move forward in your unique context, because everybody's context is different, and experience is different. Great.
0: Well, I uh, I was uh, expecting this to be a delightful uh, conversation, and it certainly has turned out to be. I, I'm wondering is there uh, is there a question that I should have asked that I didn't that uh, has uh, m- uh, more about uh, w- what you found out and what you've put into the book uh, to give you a chance to share that?
1: I think. A couple of things I could just say about the book is that it's very readable. It's very approachable. It's appropriate for women who are just considering leadership, like just thinking maybe this is something in my future. It's appropriate for women who are currently in leadership and it's appropriate for people who are leaders right now who are not women, who wanna help them. So I think it's, I I just want to make sure it's really clear that this is intended to be an inclusive work not only in the women featured in the book, but the people who can get something out of the book. And we really just want people to read it and be able to take action at whatever level they are right that, that is right for them. So if you're a person who is, you know, wondering what is my next step, it looks fuzzy going forward, or how can I support the people around me, this book is for you. And we did design it a little bit like a workbook. So are there, Although the the publisher, you know, it, it's still like a a small readable book. It's a it's a carryable book. You can take it on a plane, but there are spaces in there where you can either grab a journal and plot out some ideas, or you can use the space that's provided in the book. So it's it's really action oriented.
0: The statement that I want to make is as important as everything you've said is for for the women reading the the, the book for themselves. The inclusion and inclusivity our kids deserve it and uh absolutely we we all have to tackle tackle that issue of, of of creating that school that our that our kids deserve and uh, uh women in leadership roles women of color in leadership roles uh is is a is an important step in getting getting our schools to be what they need to be for the for the kids who are attending
1: Absolutely. So gift it, gift it to people who need to read it too. You buy a copy and gift it to somebody.
0: <laughs> what's the uh, What's the best way for listeners to uh, touch base with you, f- find out more about the work you're doing and uh, maybe even follow up uh, with some questions about the book?
1: My website is a perfect place to find out all about me. And that's edurolearning.com, E-D-U-R-O learning.com. I'm still stuck on Twitter. I'm, I'm working my way out of it. My Twitter <laughs> handle is Miss Cofino, M-S-C-O-F-I-N-O. And I'm on Instagram at Super Kimbo. And if you look me up on LinkedIn, I'm there too. Just Kim Cofino, you'll find me on LinkedIn. And we are hosting a virtual global book study of this book, from February to May 2024. I'm not sure when this episode is being released, but if anyone is interested in potentially being part of that, you know, reach out to me on any of those avenues and I'll give the details yeah, on we'll, how to do that.
0: We'll we'll we'll, we'll post before then and okay. uh, I'll make sure that your uh, that your uh, website is uh, is listed in the leading so people can come awesome. back and find it. I I saw the book study and that, that did look like a great opportunity.
1: Yay, excellent. But, Thank
0: you. Thanks a lot, Kim. Appreciate it. My
1: pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening, folks. I'd love to hear what you're pondering. You can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Steve Barkley, or send me your questions and find my videos and blogs at BarkleyPD.com.